Ahoy authors! You're listening to The Writership Podcast, a show focused on helping indie authors master self-editing skills. So come aboard and get ready to find the treasure in your manuscript with hosts Leslie Watts and Clark Chamberlain. Welcome to episode 101 of The Writership Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about narrative distance from Austin, Texas. I'm Leslie Watts here with Clark Chamberlain <laughs> from the Book Editor Show. To learn more about the podcast, visit writership.com slash podcast. As you know, the Writership Podcast is brought to you by the good folks at Author Marketing Club, home of the new and improved Amazon Reviewer Grabber Tool. You know you need high-quality reviews for your books, so you should use the AMC Reviewer Grabber Tool to quickly and easily locate reviewers that are ready, willing, and able to review your books for you. Become a premium member of AMC now by visiting www.authormarketingclub.com and get instant access to this tool and more. And yes, we're actually here together. We're in person. (laughs) It's very exciting. It is. And has had all the regular technical and issues that we would normally have from hundreds of miles away. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, I think it was Liz today. We're having a team meeting and she said, isn't it funny how having a meeting in person is actually trickier than uh, doing it virtually and from across the miles (laughs) it is it is it's a lot of fun but i'm excited i was really glad we're able to actually do this um it it was one of those things is like oh we're gonna have time and make it work and then we had to wait for the batteries to be delivered right my goodness that took forever they had to make them they had to make them (laughs) So, but uh, I'm really excited to be here in Austin. We've got the Smarter Artist Summit. It's going to be taking place here. It's a lot of fun. And it's so cool being here this year versus last year. Because last year, I was like, I came here and I didn't know anybody. And now this year, I'm here and I'm like hugging and handshaking and seeing how people are. Years gone by. It's just so great. So many great people. Yes. Yes. It's wonderful to reconnect with friends Mm and and. Uh, and learn new things and it's just a really fun energizing environment and i'm super excited to be here yeah um speaking about super exciting things yeah i have a new course that just launched what yes i know this is like a hidden thing you know because this is how i do stuff i'm not one of those people that like talks a lot about things happening i just do it and then i toss it out there anyway it uh i i did this um I think we talked about it before, maybe. I did this for the college. as a workshop on advanced novel writing based on Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. So now this is now available online. Go to thebookeditorshow.com slash Potter, and uh, you'll enjoy the video. I guarantee that you'll enjoy the video. You will enjoy the video. <laughs> Do it for the video. That's right. Even if you're not feeling ready to take the plunge. Go check it out. You will be rewarded. <laughs> yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. So, But it's, uh, it's, it definitely is a really cool class. Um, I've had a lot of fun putting it together and really just digging in deep. And that's not the only thing we got, though. We have something special coming up on the writership side, too. Yes. So we have, you may remember from last week when we, uh, we did the 100th episode mm-hmm. that we had... 
100 quick writing tips, uh, a, free a free download to <laughs> thank you all for listening and participating. And so there, it's a great, I mean, if I say so myself, <laughs> it's a great collection of tips. And a shout out to Jody from the writership team for her efforts in putting that together. She pulled and found all these wonderful tips for me to tweak and augment. So it's really, it's good stuff. So you can gr still grab that at writership.com slash quick tips. That's really cool. And thanks, Jody. Um, I do have a quote. Even though we're in person? In, in person. I still have a quote. All right. <laughs> and... Um, so this is from off of uh, Emma Darwin's site talking about psychic distance. Psychic distance is a concept which John Gardner explores in his book, The Art of Fiction. And I think it's absolutely critical, not difficult to understand, and not nearly talked about enough. You'll also find it called narrative distance because basically it's about where the narrative and therefore the reader stands relative to a character. Another way of thinking of it is how far the reader is taken by the narrator inside the character's head. Yes, how far do you want to go? People don't want to go that far in my head. Like, I want a lot of narrative distance away from my head. <laughs> Give Clark plenty of narrative distance because, yeah. No, I mean, it's... I love this because it combines some different things. Mm -hmm. It combines the you know point of view because we're talking about that. But it's also within a single point of view. And you've talked about yep. this. In fact, I think you cover it in your course. Yes. Is that right? Yeah. Actually, right up front, we talk a lot about point of view and, and how to use it. Yeah. And how you, even within one single type of point of view. So even if you're in third person limited point of view you are still sometimes very close to the character and like practically you know in their skin and in their head and other times you're sitting behind their shoulder mm -hmm. kind of watching from the outside yeah exactly because and that really allows that's really where that storytelling comes in you know on how much control you have you're really the director with the camera and where you're going to be pointing it and and yeah you can even using third person limited or limited anywhere, you can be with still be really close on one, and then when you're with another point of view character, you're not as close, which is some really cool stuff to hide from the reader. You know, like where you're like, haha, tricking you, but it's <laughs> which you couldn't get away with with first person because then the first person narrative would be a liar. Right. So. And it's okay, sort of, if the person is an unreliable. Mm -hmm. Unreliable is understandable because they've got their own bias. Right. But if they just straight up didn't tell you what they yeah. just saw, yeah, it doesn't work. No. But being limited and like changing where the direction of the camera is pointed at that moment. Right. That's really cool. And yes. So, yeah. Yes. Fun. Okay. So. We have a submission today mm -hmm. that is going to allow us to kind of explore and play with narrative distance. And this is called, okay, and I have to say, <laughs> the, uh, our, our lovely author, J.M. Hudson, has shared this 
wonderful story, and it, it ha- it's based on, or it's inspired, I should say, by C- Cornish folklore and mythology. And so there are some Cornish words, actual Cornish mm-hmm. words, and then some words that are kind of based on them within the story. And I've done my best today because I'm going to take I'm going to take up the story narration mantle today. because I'm scared of these words <laughs> uh, and because and I've watched Doc Martin so I'm well versed in no, you're, you're, I'm not. you're fluent I'm right? more familiar perhaps <laughs> somewhat okay anyway get on with it uh, the point is that I will probably mispronounce these words and if we have friends in Cornwall I'm deeply sorry for my terrible pronunciation but know that my heart is in the right place and I did try looking up some guides but they weren't were, as helpful no as they I were hoped. not as helpful no in fact I thought it was some Greek with like different types of omega letters and things like that in there and I had no idea how to pronounce it and I there's said, so many it. aspects to mm-hmm. language yeah. like you can be really good at one thing and know nothing about the other parts that's right <laughs> Okay, so today we have Oswith by J.M. Hudson. This is an epic fantasy. The, when J.M. submitted the story, it was at about 5,000 words of a total target of 100 to 150K. So J.M. Is still, was still working on the story at this point. Um, and, so I, and as I said, it's based or it's inspired by Cornish folklore and mythology. So we have the beginning of Oswith. Endless rain pelted the pitted white plaster of the old stronghold. Hundreds of years of perpetual deluge had carved its stormy history into the ancient facade, smoothing edges and punching dents in the faces that dared stare down the weather. Hunched figures bent into the wind, swaying in the balustrade, teetering on the edge of falling and flying whilst they kept watch for an enemy that didn't exist. Somewhere below, a gust of wind threw open a door in a rage. Screaming down the empty corridors, it doused the flickering yellow light that dimly emanated from tallow candles that clung, melted into cracks, into the cracks in the deep stone mantles. Dust motes that had settled into the darkest corners were whipped into life, quick-stepping around each other in a frenzied dance towards the rafters, darting around leaves and detritus, provoked into action by the sudden gale. Outside, foam slapped against the thick lead-framed windows, hurled into the air by the tempestuous ocean below. Silently, any noise drowned out by the roaring of wind and wave, a small figure edged its way down the blustering hallway. Pressing its tiny frame up against the wall, it edged slowly towards the open door. 
hair whipped around her face as the small girl peered around the open doorway, squinting as cold air and water threw itself into her eyes. Ducking her head back in and taking a deep breath, just in case the wind tried to steal it away, she peeled herself around the solid wooden frame and stepped out into the squall. Her long nightdress slapped against her bare legs as the rain plastered the material around the contours of her body. Mud squelched between her toes as she walked barefoot across the courtyard and, turning her face skyward, she yelled into the storm. Her shout was borne away by a violent gust, and losing her balance, she stumbled backwards into the slick, cold sludge. Ice crept up her back as the already soaked and now mud-caked nightdress pressed against her skin. She didn't fight to get up. Instead, she lay there feeling everything. Her eyes closed. She listened to the wind, to the voices it carried away with it into the clouds. She could feel the waves crashing against the rocks at the bottom of the cliff, vibrating through the ground, a deep, low growl. The force of the rain made her skin numb. She felt everything and nothing. A cry from high above her as the figures on the balustrade leapt into life, clattering metal and leather as they raced to raise the alarm. She had been spotted by one of the guards who, after shouting a warning, had abandoned his post and was charging down the stone steps, shedding shield and sword as he ran to her aid. As he reached the bottom of the staircase, the stone gave way to mud and his progress slowed as, finally, the sound of a peeling bell ripped through the storm. Lights flickered on in darkened windows and the hibernating castle awoke to a treacherous spring. As the guard reached the little girl and lifted her out of the mire, four figures appeared in the open doorway, shouting incomprehensible instructions, and he turned, child in arms, towards the open door. Almost throwing himself inside, the door's violent swinging was brought under control with the weight of three, while the fourth scrambled to secure it closed. Slumping to the floor, their heavy breathing seemed to fill the space the wind had blasted through. Squirming in his grasp, the little girl fixed the guard with a steely glare. I didn't ask for your help, Joan. She frowned at him, a look which, if his heart was still not pounding from the fear of finding what he thought was a dead child, he would have found amusing. As she continued to fight against him, Joan carefully let her down. She stood arms folded, eyebrows knitted, dripping and enraged as only a four-year-old could be at an adult interfering in her fun.
I was talking to the storm. Storms don't talk behind, behind, behind. Her frown deepened at the mention of his pet name for her. You're soaked through to the bone, not to mention caggled in muck. You'll catch your death of cold running out into a squall like that. What on earth were you thinking? Arifa! Your parents will be furious. You've been told more than once to stay inside when, t- when the tihuid makes land. Joan could feel the anger rising within him, burning in his throat as he wrestled to temper his voice. Why was no one watching her? The girl was four years old. She shouldn't be able to wander the fort at night, let alone manage to slip outside unnoticed and lie down in the mud. He swept his hand across his heavily lined forehead stopping the rivulets of water from running over his dark brows into his eyes. He regarded her, still standing, arms folded, mad at him for thinking she couldn't look after herself. She had always been independent. From the time she could crawl, she would routinely pull herself out of her crib and would be found reenacting famous battles in the playroom. Once, about 18 months ago, she had gone missing for a whole day, and with the whole village out looking for her, she was finally discovered by a local blacksmith asleep in one of the stalls. When Joan had gone to retrieve her and return her to her parents, she told him, she had told him that the wind told her to do it. It could not be said she lacked imagination. He knew of the murmurs of the more superstitious in the community and indeed, looking at her now, wet through to the bone, yet not so much as shivering. It was easy to believe she had some sort of devilry or witchcraft in her. Joan was certain if she had not been of royal descent the zealots and fanatics would have whisked her off a long time ago, which is why someone should have been watching her. I'm not even cold, as though she could read his mind, and she jutted out her bottom lip in case she hadn't made it clear enough that she was unhappy with his rescuing. Cold, he crouched down, grasping her by the shoulders, You'd have been more than cold if... He trailed off as he realized another figure was standing behind her in the darkened corridor. The guards who had been resting after their grapple with the door had snapped to attention, bare of their usual accoutrement, which lay scattered about them on the floor. Joan rose and half bowed to the figure. My lord, I believe your daughter has something to tell you. He placed his hand on the small of her back and ushered her towards her father. Obstinately, she said nothing and scowled at the floor, arms still folded across her sodden chest. The storm raged on outside, buffeting the windows as the ensemble stood reticent, 
waiting to see whether father or daughter would concede first. Knowing where she had inherited her stubbornness from, Joanne knew that this was going to be a hard-fought contest, and as he steeled himself to break the stalemate, another voice spoke. Perhaps it would be wise to hear explanations in the daylight, my lord. A candle sparked into life, illuminating the corridor as Joanne's viridescent eyes slammed shut against the sudden barrage of light. Very good. Oh, thanks. You got through those words. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I, I don't have a Cornish accent, obviously, and I hope... Um, so I don't think it was as, you know... Yeah. Like, the way I hear it in my head is not the way it's coming <laughs> out of my mouth. But anyway, this is a really interesting opening with a, an intriguing character. I'm so... I love this four-year-old mm-hmm. who is so tough and stubborn and lying in the mud and not caring. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, we, we had talked earlier trying to decide exactly what we should speak about with this because there's another really just great element is with this weather. Yes. You know, like it's just such good setting. This weather is playing a total role here, you know, and is getting personification is happening with it and it's taking on a life of its own. So there's just so much. And, uh, but what really we noticed here is the slow development. It's almost as if we've got the camera, we're way back and now we're getting closer and closer and closer with Yo with Joan, 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 I'm, I'm not certain, no. <laughs> but Jojo. Um, Yeah, so we have some, it's a really, as I said, as you said, a lovely progression because in, you know, the first that we hear of the girl, we don't know she's a girl yet. There's a small figure edging its way down the blustering hallway with a tiny frame up against the wall. And then we get to then there's a small girl mm-hmm. okay so we know now we know gender or we'll go from figure to small girl and then we find you know we we get a little closer to her so we can kind of see and then we get further in we get, we're actually in her experience, her eyes mm-hmm. closed. We see these things. We can this, feel this, what she feels. Yeah, the, the mud squelched between her toes. Yes. Mm-hmm. The, I mean, down to the waves crashing against the rocks below. She can feel that vibration through the mm-hmm. ground. And then, you know, then the men come. So we kind of get a view of them off in the distance, mm-hmm. but they come closer and we hear that, yeah, again, she's a little girl, but then we find out she's a four-year-old. Yeah. So that's really different because a little girl, you could, you know, you could take up to age eight or mm-hmm. so, eight or nine, you know, yeah. easily. But she's four. Yeah. And she's that's tiny. in the squall, squishing her toes in the mud. <laughs> <laughs> and... um we always mention, you know, these little aspects of mystery that are so good. And this one here that it popped up again as we were reading it, that she felt everything and nothing. I love that line. Yeah. 
Like what, what does that mean? You know, what is, what is she experiencing and how is she different? Cause certainly she's a little different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's a little different, not your average four year old. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think it's really, so I think this is really well done, especially considering that, you know, the author, when, when this was submitted mm-hmm. was pretty early, you know, yeah. into the draft, uh, into the first draft of the story. And so I think it's, yeah, there are so many elements that are working really well. And this wouldn't work in just in every story right. that you do this kind of creeping up, getting closer, getting closer, and then you're inside the character's experience. It wouldn't work in every story, obviously. But here's an example where it really works. And with an epic fantasy, mm-hmm. you can kind of take your time a bit. Yeah. Your reader is settling in for the long haul. Yeah. And also, what, and we switch, though. We do switch our points of view here as well. We, we switch over to Joan, you know, uh, and away from her because she's all up in the front. And then we get into him where we start getting into his fear of finding what he thought was a dead child, you know, and he could feel the, raise, feel the anger rising within him. And so we're moving from one to the other. And I think it's kind of a cool way that, again, we do this here. Um, she had been spotted by one of the guards. So, we, so we're moving over to him. But again, we're doing it from a distance and we're coming in very slowly. We're moving from her, spotted by one of the guards over here. And then we start coming in closer with him as he comes out to, to rescue her. Well, he's thinking it's a dead child, doesn't know what's happened. Yeah. And yeah, and moving forward from that point. So. Yeah. So I think that. Yeah, I again, it's really well done, and it's it's a good study in that slow getting to know, mm-hmm. or kind of it's. I mean, we're not we are getting to know her in a way, but it's also seeing her from a distance and then getting really close, and mm-hmm. the same with the characters. So you can do that as you introduce characters, especially certain characters. And and isn't that how we get to know people anyway? Right. Like we don't just show up and say, let me tell you the most intimate details of my <laughs> life, all of my secrets and all of that here, yeah. you know, when I've just met someone. And and this is also so much better than the laundry list. Yes. You know, there was a little girl wearing this and she had this kind of hair and she... This was her eye colors, and like, and she was only four years old, and she was the the daughter's or the king of the daughter, oh, uh, <laughs> the, the daughter's king, king, king of the daughters. No, and so, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, like, um, but we, it works so much better to spend some time coming in, and again, this is real life. This is how we start to judge someone else as we see them in their actions and what they're doing, and not being told how we're supposed to think of a person. Yeah. So, which I think is pretty cool. There's a, there's a lot of really good ways, but yeah, I mean, it, it would be difficult. And you had mentioned this earlier off, off air, um, to continue doing this the whole way through. Right. Yeah. The, we have a lot of really strong details, mm-hmm. which are wonderful because we want to be able to, 
I mean, the the description of the place and the way, as you mentioned, the mm-hmm. weather is kind of, is a character in in itself. That it's really wonderful, especially as we're being pulled into the world. We're, I mean, immediately, mm-hmm. right? But as I, yes, as you as you and I discussed, <laughs> it would be it would be it could be difficult to to continue that you know for a hundred to one hundred fifty thousand word yeah. novel because in part because. I mean, sometimes I was a bit breathless with the sentences just mm-hmm. because they're, they're, some of them are long. There are lots. They're uh, compound and complex. So they have, you know, multiple independent clauses plus the extra bits that make them complex. And in some places, the, it was, you know, it was tricky to kind of hold everything. Mm-hmm. And so... I think, as I said, it's a lovely way to pull us into the world, but I would be mindful of the pros yeah. getting... getting too much because... Um, and one of the ways that you can look at this is making sure that you can see an entire page at a time and see how many paragraphs mm-hmm. you have. Because when you, if you go to um, Writership's website and look at this particular one, you're going to see that. You're going to see that we have these huge, long paragraphs. Mm-hmm. And that does a couple of things. Um, it, for the reader, it can turn them off. Like if they see this over and over again, they're like, oh my goodness, I've got a lot of reading to do, you know, because they see these huge, long things. And so this becomes an issue of pacing and trying to decide. But I really like what it's doing here to introduce a character. Right. But then once we have brought our camera in, we brought we come close with our narrative distance to that character. We're not going to be back away from that character again every single time. Right. And coming back in right. and doing this huge thing every time. We would then stay with that, you know, at this distance with these two characters that we've established and they would continue on and be very closer yeah. in their own ways. So. Right. Yes, I think oh and I had a thought about that. It escapes me, <laughs> but I will, uh, I'll see. I might think of it again. There were some, so in a, in terms of copy editing, something like this, uh, and, and, you know, obviously, again, this is a really early draft. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure the author hasn't done that yet. And the the use of commas and you know in punctuation and helping the reader pause is going to be is going to be critical to these big chunks of prose if you know if you choose to keep them in roughly this way for the opening or you know as you go that you want to be mindful of those and um you can check out I won't I won't regale you with the <laughs> commas discussion but but I would take a look at the show notes because we'll have some examples. And it's not, you know, some comma usage, of course, mm-hmm. is, a, is a matter of style, is a matter of, of kind of preference. And, you know, I, I do not, <laughs> I do not brook that, uh, <laughs> that the thing that people say where, oh, you put a comma in anywhere the reader should pause. Yeah. And that's actually, that can become confusing and, and 
um, and yeah, make it difficult. Right, because there's one like in uh, one example in here about where it talks about silence and then not silence because of the comma it's talking about the girl trying to be quiet and then the storm is going to mask all the noise but how it's read together it's one of those things that doesn't make sense even though it's may even be (laughs) the correct way to do it but it's such a long part in between with our commas there that all of a sudden you've forgotten what the beginning was to the end and where they connect back together i'm maybe i can find that real quick here so i should have marked that one particular one but while i'm looking for this don't yeah. forget to go in, right. to uh the book editor show.com slash potter because that class is awesome yeah <laughs> <laughs> well okay so i found a a misplaced modifier mm-hmm. essentially and it's this in this sentence outside foam slapped against the thick lead framed windows hurled into the air by the tempestuous o- ocean below and the way it's written, the mo- that uh, participle phrase at the end, hurled into the air by the tempestuous ocean below, is modifying windows. Mm-hmm. And while, you know, at some point in the storm they might be, mm-hmm. but I think that what she's talking, what the author's talking about is the, you know, the foam and the water and that, you know, is being hurled into the air mm-hmm. rather than the... Right. So, and right. that's just, that's, you know, it's, it's, it's so picky, picky like stuff. it's picky stuff, but it's, you know, and as again, early draft, so <laughs> it's not a. And this is another one here is it's at silently comma, any noise drowned out by the roaring of wind and wave comma, a small figure edged. So what this sentence is, is silently a small figure edged its way down into the blustering hallway, but we have this large, any noise drowned out by the roaring of wind and wave. Mm-hmm. In the center there, yeah. it's kind of confusing, and it's difficult to read that there. And so this mm-hmm. is one of the things that you're looking at. I think is uh, El- Elmore Leonard said it best. He's like, I'm going to uh, break grammar rules if, if needed to make it readable right (laughs) yeah so don't don't be stuck on something see how it sounds and to making sure that it's very clear Mm -hmm. clear is very important yeah and i always recommend that and lots of people recommend (laughs) reading the reading your manuscript out loud because you're going to catch different things and that you wouldn't normally catch if you're just reading it especially if you're reading it on a screen so Particularly if you have big, long sentences like this and, you know, really Mm -hmm. rich prose with lots of luxurious descriptions and such, like you're definitely going to want to read that out loud and and pay attention to the the sentences and the word choice Mm -hmm. and all of those things. Even though it's huge and it's going to take time (laughs) to do that, you, it will it'll produce a much, much better yes, book. Absolutely. So. And, oh, and I want to say, right, that, that I, about the, the prose yeah. and how like big and descriptive and lovely and it is, that it's really, I think it is appropriate for a story like this that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's kind of based on the Cornish yeah. folklore because, you know, that's where 
Arthur, King Arthur, was conceived uh-huh. in Cornwall, in a castle on the <laughs> uh, edge of the on the ocean. And so I think that, and you know, when you have epic fantasy, you have corn, like I think it's just it's a good mix. It's a good mix. Yeah. It's a good mix. Uh, and this this is uh, this definitely I, I like the style that's taking place here. So this is yeah. some fun stuff. Yep. So, yes. Yeah, was there anything else you wanted to mention? No, that was all that I had. Okay. Um, do you, perchance, have an editorial mission that you could share? I do. But I will say that since we're in person and we're kind of uh, cobbling this together, that I will, it'll, it'll be more detailed in the show notes. Where we're really pushing yeah, the show notes today. We are. Go check them <laughs> Go out. Go check them it's out. They're really awesome. important. Uh, but it'll be more detailed because I realized that I didn't. I had written a, a, an editorial mission on narrative distance before, mm-hmm. and then we didn't use it. And I realized I didn't have it with me today. So uh, you, you'll get all those details there. But... The upshot is that we want you to consider narrative distance in your story and within your scenes in particular, but, but also across the story. Mm-hmm. And think about what, you know, where you're at. And, and the gr- there are some great tools, and we'll share this article uh that where the quote comes from because she provides examples from John Gardner's book about, you know, that demonst- that really clearly demonstrates. Um, in fact, we've got, got a, a little time. I want to just, hmm. I want to share one of these with you just so you can kind of get a feel for it. Cause we showed a, in one yeah. way with this piece, but this is more the, the practical, like, how do you do it? Nuts and bolts. So one, it was winter of the year 1853. A large man stepped out of a doorway. Two, Henry J. Warburton had never much cared for snowstorms. Three, Henry hated snowstorms. Four, God, how he hated these damn snowstorms. Five, snow under your collar, down inside your shoes, freezing and plugging up your miserable soul. Okay, so you can feel yeah. the difference between those sentences. And yeah. some were like, it's very neutral. We're mm-hmm. off, we're apart and separate. And then we get closer, we find out a little bit of that, you know, like sort of external facts. Henry. Jay Warburton, which is a great name, uh, he had never much cared for snowstorms, which is just a fact. Is, yeah, it's a fact. And then just we just get deeper and deeper into his experience where we can actually, oh yeah, we're either agreeing with him uh-huh. or disagreeing. And I agree with him. I do too. I'm afraid I do. My parents would disagree with him. Uh-huh. They really like the snowstorms. Yeah. But I not me. They're cold. They're, they're cold. <laughs> excessively so excessively cold so i will have a much better explanation of checking narrative distance and looking at those things and just being conscious of it as you're revising your scenes like how close do you want to be to your character and their experience because sometimes you want to be in 
and mm -hmm. showing, right? right? Yeah, right. we didn't get into that, but it is related to showing and telling. And sometimes you'll want to be telling and stepping back yeah. and giving that, you know, from that perspective. Mm -hmm. yep. So that's it. Go check that out at writership.com slash episodes. And I know we have one other thing, but would you like me to mention um, who our sponsor is at this moment? Or did you want to talk about what's going on with the other thing? You go ahead. I'll go ahead and do this. All right. Yeah. So that's good and cryptic for everybody. The Writership Podcast is brought to you by the good folks at the Author Marketing Club, which you can find at www.authormarketingclub.com. Don't forget, when you become a premium member today, you'll gain access to the new and improved Amazon Reviewer Grabber Tool. Grab that grabber tool. <laughs> it's you know, it's really awesome. We don't talk about it very much, uh -huh. but it's a really, it's it's really cool because it helps you find people who leave reviews, mm -hmm. like really highly qualified people who like to leave reviews and who have re left reviews on books like yours. Yeah. So it's a really fantastic tool. So what I wanted to say. <laughs> Was that as we talked about last week? Yeah. We have we now have a special opportunity for listeners to further engage with us via Patreon.com/slash/Writership. So for a few dollars a month, you'll gain access to additional recordings and Q and A's and and lots of awesome stuff to help you unearth the treasure in your manuscript. So if you're enjoying the podcast and you want more. That is a great place to go. That's patreon.com slash writership. And if you're enjoying the show, you'll also please stop by iTunes or Stitcher to leave a rating and review. We have instructions for that on the website too. So if you find, if you're technologically challenged like some of us are, not naming <laughs> names, myself <laughs> but then we have some great clear instructions for you if, if that's been an obstacle in the past so at itunes or stitcher if you want your five pages reviewed you can submit them at writership.com submissions and finally be sure to check out the book editor show and clark's new awesome course go see the video if nothing else and that's it for episode 101. We'll see you next time on the Writership Podcast. Ready for Leslie and Clark to help you find the treasure in your manuscript? Submit your pages to writership.org forward slash podcast.